Welcome to everyone. Welcome to all of you. God bless you. Welcome to those of you in the overflow this morning and all of you at the Franklin campus. God bless you. Uh, Let's jump right in. Open your Bibles to the book of Corinthians. 1 Corinthians this morning, chapter 6 is where we'll begin in the sermon series entitled, Me, Myself, and God. Me, Myself, and God. Before I begin, let me just say one more time uh, how much I love you all. Uh, I probably just don't say it enough. I count it a real privilege to be your pastor and, and especially to, uh, to preach with you and for you week after week. Uh, thank you for the joy and the privilege of, of doing that, especially those of you in Franklin, those of you in the overflow. I know uh, that for you it is, is a different experience on video or through the camera, but it is the word of God that we preach and it has nothing to do with myself or my personality or my presence. It is God's power uh, that, I, that I praise behind the preaching. First Corinthians chapter 6 and 7 are important chapters, and I hope that you will learn to dig into these, especially when it comes to the topic of relationships. Uh, this is one of the most practical and important portions of Scripture that deal with some issues that we think an awful lot about, and especially in church. Uh, but uh, these chapters don't get preached a lot. I want to make sure we pay good attention to them today. So I'm going to read a lot of Scripture today as we, uh, as we look to this, this issue. This is the last sermon in, in this message series, Me, Myself, and God. I want to sort of turn a corner with it, though. I don't want to leave this series without saying a special word to, uh, to single adults. And this message this morning is especially geared toward those of you who are, who are single. I recognize that in this sermon series, I've continued to express the importance of spending alone time with God, getting away from everybody else and away from the noise and away from the busyness and, and just spending some alone time with God, just you, yourself, and God. But I also am very aware of the fact that for some of you, It's me, myself, and God all day, every day. And you have other needs and other questions, and I haven't treated those well in this series. So I wanted to come back at the end and talk especially to to single adults. Single adults these days make up uh, nearly 40% of the American population, and it is the fastest growing segment of our population. Understand that. We're not talking about married couples or or even at at this point uh, divorced folks so much as just people who have never been married, who continue to live a life of singleness, and and these are the largest growing segment of our population. But I want you to understand something that sort of ought to alarm us. They are not the largest growing population inside the church. If the outside world is is 40% single, that is not the case in your typical church. And I think that's an indictment of the church. It says something important to us and about the fact of whether or not we're actually doing our job in, in reaching people, reaching people where they are. I actually hear from a lot of singles that church is a place where they feel uncomfortable, where they feel unwelcome. They're made to feel like oddballs. There was one guy who said to me, he said, you know, I was completely happy being single until I came to church. He meant that. I I, I didn't even know I was miserable until I came to church. There's something about the way we gather for church that makes people who don't have families, people who are not married, single folks, makes them feel oddball and, and unwelcome. One lady says that in her church one day there was a person leading in prayer out loud and their prayer ended like this, Lord, bless all of the sick and all those who are struggling, bless all those who are poor, all those who are dying, all those in prison and all those who are single, amen. Well, what does that say? That if you're single, you're right there with the people in prison and the dying in the same place boat. How did that make the woman feel? 
If the church doesn't have the message right about what it means to be single and what it means to be married for that matter, Scripture has the message right. So I want to call your attention to Scripture today. It's not going to say what you think it says. I want you to understand that up front. I want you to listen to this scripture, pay attention to God's word with brand new eyes and fresh ears. It's not going to say what you think it says. Scripture is not going to say that marriage is the ideal. Even though that seems to be what we preach and it seems to be the message in the church, scripture never says that. It never says that the perfect Christian life is a married life. It never says that. As a matter of fact, Scripture's going to say something very close to the opposite of that. Uh, let's jump right in. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First off, we're going to start in verse 12, read through chapter 7, verse 2, then I'm going to do some jumping in chapter 7. Get out your pen, your pencil. I dare you to underline some of these verses. This is good stuff. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. Paul is speaking. Paul is giving practical advice to the church at Corinth regarding relationships, especially marriage. He has special words for singles and very, very important words, first off, about our sexuality. Let's, let's uh, jump into what he says in verse 12, chapter 6. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say, food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. I love that verse. Made for the Lord, the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. For the scripture says the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Now, regarding the questions you asked in your letter, yes, it is good to live a celibate life. Stop. What's a celibate life? What's celibate? I was afraid y'all wouldn't know. Celibacy is, is a life of abstinence from sex. It, it, it's a life without sex. And Paul says, yes, it is good to live a celibate life. But because there's so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. Down to verse 8. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. Now over to verse 25. Now regarding your question about the young women who are not yet married, I do not have a command from the Lord for them. 
But the Lord in his mercy has given me wisdom that can be trusted, and I'll share it with you. Because of the present crisis, I think it's best to remain as you are, to remain single. If you have a wife, do not seek to end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, do not seek to get married. But if you do get married, it's not a sin. And if a young woman gets married, it's not a sin. However, those who get married at this time will have troubles. And I'm trying to spare you those problems. I'm glad nobody said amen. Thank you for that. Verse 29. But let me say this, dear brothers and sisters. The time that remains is very short. So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or who rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. What a verse. Those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them. For this world as we know it will soon pass away. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking about how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do Whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. Underline that. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. But if a man thinks that he's treating his fiancée improperly and will inevitably give in to his passion, let him marry her as he wishes. It's not a sin. But if he has decided firmly not to marry and there is no urgency and he can control his passion, he does well not to marry. So the person who marries his fiancée does well and the person who doesn't marry does even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. If her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes, but only if he loves the Lord. But in my opinion... It'd be better for her to stay single. And I think I'm giving you counsel from God's spirit when I say this. Is that what you thought the Bible would say? Hmm. Woman named Andrea, she's 30 years old. She recently moved to Kentucky. Her job moved her here. She's 30, she's single, very successful, actually very attractive. She's a godly woman, and her very first Sunday in Kentucky, she went to church. She went to a pretty good-sized church that was close to her apartment. It was there, it it looked good, and she walked in the door. She was met there by a 250-year-old usher who was very, very kind man. He welcomed her. He asked her her name, and she said, I wonder if you could help me find a Bible study group, a Sunday school class. He said, sure, sure. Your husband's probably parking the car. Should we wait for him? Again, she's single. She said, trying to make a joke, she said, well, we could be waiting a long time. Uh, I'm single, she said. He said, oh, I'm sorry. I can't believe a pretty woman like you hasn't been picked up yet. He said, I'll take you down to our singles class. Now, if you was married, I I wouldn't have any trouble because we got eight married classes, but I think we got a singles class at the end of the hall. At least we used to. 
still can't believe you're not married. He's saying all this as he's walking down the hall. He said, you know what they say? Sometimes they say, if you just quit looking, the right man will show up. He's a stranger talking to her about these things. So she's walking behind him as he gives her advice about love and marriage and, and the right man just showing up. And she's starting to think, what do you know, you old goat? He's walking down the hall. He said, we used to have a pretty good singers class, had, had several college students and some divorced people. And then there's this one old man who's a retired electrician who's just too stubborn to move to Florida. Now, what's she thinking? Can you put yourself in her shoes as he describes the singles class? Some college students, some divorced people, and one old man too stubborn to move to Florida. He walked all the way back to the room, and, and, and he said, this is it. And the room was absolutely empty, empty. He said, have a seat right there at that table, and if nobody shows up before long, come find somebody. And by the way, don't you give up. Somebody's going somebody's to snatch you up one day. And he walks on. She sits down at the table there, and she said there in the middle of the table was the Sunday school roster, the, the list of people in the class. And so she reached over and grabbed that and just looked at it while she's waiting in an empty room. She could see the name of the class at the top of the sheet. You know what the name of the class was? Simply Solo. There were four names on it. Four names on the class roster, Simply Solo. Andrew said she sat there about 30 seconds went to her car and went back home. I know that some of you can identify with Andrea immediately, but honestly, some of us can't. We're not used to seeing the church through the eyes of somebody not married and somebody without a family because most of us in our church are married with families. And so church becomes a place that sort of revolves around married people. As a pastor, I've been married 21 years. I am probably the happiest married man in the whole world. I love my wife, and I know that affects my preaching. And I know that often in my illustrations, often in the way I interpret Scripture, I interpret it through the eyes of a married man. It's all I can do. But the effect of that Sunday after Sunday after Sunday is that I read the Bible as a pastor, and I never find anything to say to those who are not not in my situation, those who are single. Single folks come to church and they get something like simply solo, the Sunday school class. Can you not imagine why those four people never come back? Can you not figure out why the several college students and the divorced people and the one man too stubborn to move to Florida eventually all moved to Florida? Do you not get that? In the church, we give them simply solo. Do you understand? In the world, they give them sex and the city. It's a very different picture out in the world, and the church isn't doing a very good job. At our Franklin campus, as we were gathering information to launch the church, one of the things we discovered was in the one and two mile radius from that location right there on Blackjack Road, the predominant, predominant population surrounding the Franklin campus are single adult households. That means that the Franklin campus follows its mission and does the will of God and reaches its community. It should be a church that is predominantly single adults, not trying to run the married people off. But understand, there is a world, a world of single adults out there. And as a church, we're not reaching you. We're not reaching them. We're not ministering very well. In the church, we have these stereotypes, the college student, the divorced person, the old man too stubborn to move to Florida. That's the picture of singles that we present in the church. 
It's not a very positive picture. We rarely have anything positive to say. And while you'll have 10, 12, 13 married couples classes, we might have a singles class in a closet somewhere. And in our church, they pretty much do meet in the closet. Think about it. Think about the message we send. What's worse, of course, is that the world sends a a really interesting kind of double message, a, a mixed message for singles. The first message is that stereotype. You know, about every year on on Channel 13, there'll be a news story where the police take a ram and they bust down some old lady's door. And she's an old lady who lives alone, except that she has 500 cats and 400 of them are dead. That's the news story. They bust in her door. She's got 500 cats, 400 of them are dead, and she's eating cat food out of the can. That's the picture we have. And for many, many single women, that's the fear. I don't want to become the cat lady. You wouldn't even bring a kitten home, not one kitten, for fear of that's one step toward being the cat lady. We have stereotypes like that. We think about the single man who's 44, and he's eating Vianney sausages out of the can in his mother's basement and then drinking the juice. We think about that sort of thing. We have these awful stereotypes of, of, of loneliness and, and desperation. Of course, the other picture that the world sends us is sort of the opposite. It's the picture you see on Sex in the City or the picture that we see on The Bachelor. Don't even get me started on The Bachelor. I don't understand the show. I don't get it. I must be missing that gene, that chromosome. That show drives me crazy for very spiritual and righteous reasons, I believe. I see those women. How many are there? Like 13, 14, 20? I don't understand those women first off. I'm thinking, do they not have anybody in their life who cares about them? Do not any of those women have a father who wants to go drag their daughter off of that show? Listen to me. If any member of our church on any campus ever ends up on The Bachelor, your pastor, I will go to Hollywood and drag you out of there. I'll do it because I care. I care about you. It's an awful, awful picture of relationships. And it's an awful picture of what it means to be single and what it means to find a partner. It is horrible. Those women lined up there in a group, those women with no sense of shame and no sense of sacredness. Those women who will compete for this loser, this loser. He's always some loser. He's the one that didn't get picked off the season before. And they line up like they're going to win some sort of prize. You're not winning a prize. That is not how relationships form. That's not how it is. But this is the picture that the world gives. And it's a horrible kind of picture. So as a single adult, if if I can't see a true picture of my my situation in the church with God's people, and I can't see a a true picture of my situation in the world with all of the stereotypes out there, where will I see a picture of my situation? Well, I'd say Scripture. Scripture is the place to go, and Scripture is amazing in its truth. And amazing in the way that it just cuts through all of the stereotypes of both the culture and the church. The scripture cuts right through. Notice what scripture makes absolutely plain. And it's not plain perhaps in your life or in your mind or in anything you see in here. But it's plain in scripture. There really are two lifestyles that God would call us to. 
There are two lifestyles, and both of them are healthy, and both of them are appropriate, and both of these are styles of life to which God may call you and which God can bless. The first of those is a life of self-controlled singleness. Self-controlled, I would say celibate singleness. It is a wonderful, pure, godly way of life, which actually Scripture has a preference for. Paul, in his writings, inspired by the Holy Spirit, has a real preference that most Christians would just stay single. That's what Paul says. It's not a sin to get married. Notice how he has to say that. Paul says you can get married. It wouldn't be a sin to get married. Do you understand how different that is from everything else we see and hear all of our lives? In our culture, in the United States, especially in Christian America, we make marriage sound like the ideal. We make marriage sound like what is normal. And if you're not married, there's something wrong with you. If you're not married, we'll all pray that the right guy will come along. Maybe you're just trying too hard. Try a little blush, a little makeup. You understand? That's how we think. If you're not married, there's something wrong. And we'll all pray that you'll get married. But that's not Paul. Paul says, if you're not married, I hope you can stay that way. You got it made. This is Paul's thinking. And he's speaking from the perspective of the Holy Spirit. Marriage is not the ideal. There are two ideals. And the first is self-controlled, celibate singleness. The second, of course, is faithfulness in marriage. Two ways of life. Only two. And both of them, very, very acceptable in Scripture. One is not better than the other. Notice how when Paul leads into this, he has to talk a lot about sex. And I'm sorry to say that word in church. I know that your your two-year-old and three-year-olds are going to ask questions on the way home. You know, what's sex? Brother Tim is talking about sex. I think that's hilarious. I think that's funny. I don't apologize for it. I think it's wonderful if the first time they hear the word, it's in church. I think that's great. I think it's good. You're going to have a good conversation this afternoon. Paul talks about it very openly, unashamedly. Paul's willing to talk about our sexual lives. And it's very, very important. He talks about sexual sin and the uniqueness of it. And the the very uniqueness of sexual sin is the way that it is a sin against our own bodies. Paul says, don't you understand? God loves and God cares about your body. And your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And the sexual act joins you physically, but also spiritually with another person. And if that is happening outside the relationship of marriage, that is sexual sin. There is no sex outside of marriage from a scriptural perspective, none at all. This isn't just a marriage, uh, this isn't just a message for young people, this is a message for everybody. It doesn't matter how old you are, or maybe you were married for years and now you're widowed or or divorced. If you're not married now, you must live a life of self-controlled singleness, celibacy. That's what God has for you. And it's not punishment. It's not punishment. But when we teach our, our teenagers that true love waits and we talk about abstinence in all of these ways, we're not setting some boundaries around them. They're going to suck all the fun out of your life. Not at all. And as we talk to single folks and we say that your first calling is to self-controlled, faithful celibacy, we're not taking something away from you. We're not taking something, some prize out of your hands. That's not what it is at all. These are the instructions from our Creator. He made us. He knows where true happiness and fulfillment dwell. And they dwell in these two ways of life, either self-controlled, celibate singleness or faithfulness in marriage. In other words, purity is for everybody. Purity in marriage, 
Purity before marriage. Purity if you're single. Purity is a Christian virtue to be celebrated and prized. I'm not bragging. I just want you to understand. I was sexually pure until the day I was married. And I was sexually pure afterwards. Because you understand, sex within marriage is not a sin at all. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. You could say amen there if you wanted to. It's a wonderful thing. And I'm not bragging when I say that I was sexually pure when, when I got married. I understand that that's supposed to be normal. I'm not saying something that makes me somehow some sort of champion. and Not at all. It's supposed to be normal. And I want to say it and I want people to hear it because I want you to understand that's what's normal. You're supposed to stay sexually pure. And understand, that discipline, that purity that I learned as a single man, I still exercise and I still have to practice in marriage because I'm continuing to keep myself pure, not just for Casey, but for the Lord. I keep myself pure for him. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He purchased me with a high price, the Scripture says. My purity is an obligation before the Lord, Savior Jesus Christ. Do you get that? But it's also a wonderful way of life, an absolutely wonderful way of life, purity. One of the rotten things about being a pastor in your hometown is that old girlfriends will come to church. I've been pastoring here 14 years. It's not that I ever had that many old girlfriends. It's just the ones I had, I still live near. You understand that? I've had two old girlfriends come to church in the last month. Now, I don't point them out. They don't want to be pointed out. They're trying to erase those memories, I'm sure. I don't embarrass them, but understand something very important. I'm not ashamed to look them in the face. When they walk in, there's no shame involved. I was never inappropriate with any of those girls. You understand that? Nothing to be ashamed of. Don't you understand? The world is so small. You're going to run into the people you date for the rest of your life. You will see them in Piggly Wiggly. You shouldn't have to hide behind the produce. You should live a life in such a way before God and before others where you never have to be ashamed. And I do not have to be ashamed of the man I was when I was single. I have nothing to be ashamed of. I can look those girls in the face. I can preach God's word, and they won't be thinking I'm a hypocrite. Do you understand that? I'm not bragging. That's supposed to be normal. That's supposed to be normal. Some of you still struggle with it, though. You still want to rationalize your kind of sexual sin, and you're still thinking that what I'm preaching is something old-fashioned, something that no longer has a place in modern society. I'm telling you this is God's word. It is eternal. This will always be what's best for our lives. I've been a pastor 14 years. I want you to understand something. I wish that you could come and sit in my chair for just a week. I wish you could talk to the people I talk to. You need to understand that in all of my years of being a pastor, I've never had anybody come into my office and sit down and tell me that somehow their sexual purity has ruined their lives. Nobody has ever said that. But my office is usually filled with people day in and day out who come in to talk about the destructiveness of sexual sin. Nobody has ever come into my office and said, Brother Tim, I just want you to know that I lost my virginity on prom night, and since then, I've been getting freaky with every boy in school, and it has done wonders for my self-esteem. It has done wonders for me. Nobody says that. Are you listening to me? Nobody says that. Nobody ever says, Brother Tim, 
I've been on the internet sort of surfing pornography and kind of been exploring some of my homosexual tendencies, and it has really added value to my life. And I'm just absolutely loving the secrets I'm keeping from my wife. That is such a kick. Nobody says that. Nobody says, Brother Tim, I've been in this adulterous relationship, and it's making me feel so good about myself and so very close to God. I'm telling you, adultery is so, so very underrated. Nobody says that. Nobody says, Brother Tim, you got to understand, this STD I picked up when I was in the military, I'm loving that infection. Nobody says that. Nobody. And nobody ever comes back and says, you know what, I I sure blew it when I kept myself pure all of those years. Nobody says that. God created us and our bodies, and he knows wherein happiness dwells. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You're created for purity. Sex belongs inside marriage between a husband and a wife. There are two lifestyles available for us. Celibate singleness or faithfulness in marriage. Both of those are lifestyles that God assigns and that God blesses. But notice the scriptural preference. It's really hard for us, hard for us who live inside our cultural bubble, hard for us to hear Paul say, you know what, you could probably get married. I don't think that would be a sin. Isn't that funny? That's his perspective that he feels like he almost has to say, go ahead, get married if you have to. If you got to get married, you probably can. You wouldn't be sinning if you did it. Isn't that amazing? Where is he from, Mars? No, he just has a very, very distinctively Christian worldview. Paul considers his singleness a gift, a gift that God gives and a gift to be prized. And and honestly, it's a gift that he wishes on everybody. He says, I wish everybody could be like I am. Isn't that amazing? I wish everybody could be like I am. Why would he say that? Why would Paul say it would be better if everybody were single? Well, first off, it's an eternal perspective. Paul sees everything from an eternal perspective. In other words, he recognizes very, very radically that this present life is very short and passing away. Everything about this life is rather temporary and not very valuable. The things that really matter belong to eternity. And marriage is one of those things that does not belong to eternity. Marriage is one of those things that only applies till death do you part. It's a temporary relationship. And for that reason, Paul sees it in some ways as a distraction from our purpose on earth to live as God's people and to serve him. It's a distraction, Paul would say, from all of the things that really matter. The things that matter are eternal things. I know, I know, you get nervous. You grew up watching the Waltons. You really do think that supper around the table is the most wonderful thing. And I prize those things too. I really, really do. But understand something. Our earthly relationships are temporary, not eternal. We will know and love each other in heaven, but the way we will be united in heaven is going to be so different, so much higher, so much better. That is why Paul can say these things on earth, they're temporary. They don't matter that much. They they just don't matter that much. What matters are eternal things. Paul also gets the part of how if you're married, you got a whole lot to worry about. Earthly responsibilities, he says. In other words, Paul says very Paul sees very practical advantages, just everyday practical advantages to being single. 
Practical advantages. No distractions, Paul would say. Paul's mind is single-mindedly focused on serving the Lord. He sees that as most important. So should you. And therefore, everything that is earthly is a distraction. And Paul says, if you're not married, you don't have those distractions. Just imagine, if I could recover all of the time as a married man, I'm spending putting down the toilet seat. If I could get those minutes back, I'd have two more years to preach. Do you understand? Married life is a life of distractions and a life of responsibility that single people don't have. And Paul sees that as a wonderful thing. Everyday advantages. Here's the sticky part, though, for us. It's where Paul is so radically Christian and we become so radically worldly. Because Paul has that real healthy sense that real healthy sense that my needs for companionship and my sexual needs are not ultimate. That's not what defines me. Paul has that very clearly. Most of us don't. We think of ourselves primarily as as, as sexual people, as as partners, people who have needs, people who need companionship and and need sex. And Paul says, you know what? I consider it a gift if I can get by without those things. Your need for companionship, your need for for sexual involvement, these are not ultimate in your life. Don't define yourself in this way. What is greater is that you were bought with a high price. You belong to the Lord. And on these few short years you have to live on earth, you have a purpose to, to accomplish for him. And that purpose may have absolutely nothing to do with finding a sexual partner. Do you get that? They're really not ultimate needs. They're really not ultimate things. The world is feeding us the wrong message. Your sex life is not the most important thing. So Paul says, I wish everybody were single like me. I wish that everybody could find fulfillment and freedom and joy in being single. I wish that on everybody. And some of you sitting in this house are thinking, please don't wish that on me. Do not wish that on me. Some of you singles right now listen to this message, and it's not making things better. It's making things worse. Because it sounds like the Bible says you're stuck. You're miserable, get used to it, learn to love it. That's not what Scripture says. Paul says singleness is honestly a gift for some. Not everybody, but a gift for some people. Some people are called to it. Some people are going to be very, very fulfilled and and happy in it. Not everybody, but some. Paul says, I wish it were everybody, but, but not everybody. So go ahead and get married if you can't handle it. But singleness is a wonderful gift. It's not for everybody. Last month at the senior adult meeting, man, I'm telling you, no matter how old you are, you should join the senior adult group in our church. This is the funnest group we have. I'm not kidding. They would blow you people out of the water. They're fun. They were having a little Christmas gift snatch, and everybody brought like a $5 gift, and they were all under the tree, and then we went to turn snatch and all that. It was just a lot of fun. But one of the senior adult ladies, a single lady, a widow, She went and got her gift, and she came back and opened it in front of everybody, and she opened a bottle of men's cologne, Adidas Sport cologne. So she opened it, she looked at it, and the first thing everybody's thinking is, what's she going to do with men's cologne? And you can see it on her face. What am I going to do with men's cologne? And then one of the ladies in the crowd, this is the fun part, one of the ladies said, hey, go ahead and wear it. You'll smell like you've been on a date. You'll smell like you've been on a date. It's Adidas Sport. You'll smell like you've been on a date with an athlete. Do you understand? You're going to smell like you've been on a date. And 
automatically, if you looked across that room, you could see in that room of mostly ladies, but a few men, you could see that some of those ladies still want to smell like they've been on a date. Some of those women still think that way. They wouldn't mind smelling like they've been on a date. Now, some of those women certainly don't mind just smelling like icy hot. Do you understand? They don't mind smelling like Ben Gay. Two very different kinds of person, even in that group. Some of them still probably have that hunger, that need for companionship. They are available for a date if you ask them. Others could care less. They just don't care. And do you see that as women and men of God, that's simply how it is. Some of us are made for singleness, and we're happy in it. And it's freeing for us, and we are not miserable, and we are not bitter, and we are not out there looking, and we could care less about the bachelor. We're just watching Murder, She Wrote. We don't care. And that's fine. Do you understand that? That's fine. That's healthy. That's godly. It is a gift. And it's not just a gift for older ladies. Do you understand that? Do you know about Richard Oldham, the pastor here in Bowling Green, one of the longest ministries in in all of Warren County? Brother Oldham's been pastor of Glendale Baptist Church for over 50 years, and he's a single man. Brother Oldham is one of those men that if you talk to him, he will tell you that his singleness he considers a gift. He is fulfilled. He is happy. He is free. His life is full. He serves the Lord, and he wouldn't change his life for anything. Do you understand that? And that's a godly way to live. But it might not be for everybody. And some people in this house today and some people in the sound of my voice are thinking, what if this is one of those gifts you don't want? It's like Christmas Day, and you get the gift from your grandma, and you open it up, and it sucks. And you're thinking, thanks for this. I really don't want this. What if the gift of singleness seems to be something God has given you? You're thinking, I don't want this. I'm not happy this way. Why am I single? Paul can have it. If he loves it, he can have it. And let Brother Oldham just stay single forever. And and all the ladies in the senior adult department who don't care anymore, let them stay single. But what about me? Why am I single? Of course I can't answer that. Of course I can't answer that. But I can say two things. I can say, first off, you're single right now, I would say, because that's God's will for you right now. It must be temporary. If God did not give you that gift of self-control, if you're not fulfilled somehow in singleness, then God must have created you for companionship. But right now, singleness is for you. It might be temporary. And if that is the case, simply accept that for now. It's not that God is cursing you with singleness, not at all. Singleness itself is always a gift. And if you've received it for now, then accept it. And don't become bitter and don't blame God. And do not make seeking a spouse an idol in your life. Don't make seeking someone, don't make that an idol in your life. Except that for now, God must have this for you. It's the only answer I can give. It must be temporary because your heart has a different kind of longing. But accept it for now and trust God. And stop asking God, why am I single? Just ask God, God, what are you wanting to do with my singleness? What advantage does my singleness give me right now in serving you? It's not, why have you done this to me, God? But God, what are you wanting to do with me as a single person for now? If it's temporary, accept it. Find out 
what God has for you right now. He'll lead you on to something different, perhaps down the road. The other thing I want you to understand, it it comes from Scripture. The idea that your singleness is not some curse for you. It is not that marriage is a blessing that God bestows on those who are beautiful or lucky. And it's not that singleness is, is a curse that God lays upon the others, the rest. It's not that at all. Whatever your station in life, whatever God calls you to, whatever your place right now, your singleness is is not so much about you. It really is for others. Perhaps right now at this time in your life, you're single for others. Your singleness gives you a tremendous capacity to serve God and to live a life that is completely outwardly focused, focused on others. God will use your singleness as a way of blessing others others. And that's supposed to be the purpose of all of our lives, to live a life for others, to serve God, to serve other people. I've got a single buddy whose mother is very, very sick, and he has a number of brothers and sisters, and he is the one who cares for mama. And sometimes he says, Tim, you don't understand. I get so frustrated because because I'm single, because I don't have a wife and family. I'm always the one that they think should go and take care of mama. And it really, really bugs him. But it's not the taking care of mama part. Do you understand that? He loves his mother. And actually, he would say, I'm glad that I'm free, and I'm glad that I'm able to take care of her. What he resents is that his family seems to take him for granted. What he resents is that they seem to be saying to him, you don't have anything important in your life because you don't have family. That's what he resents. But honestly, that ability to take care of mother, that freedom that he has as a single man is something that he does have that is a benefit to his mother, a benefit to others. Your singleness is something that God can use so that your life can turn outward and bless others. That's no different from married people. As much as I love my wife, God didn't put Casey and me together so that we can sit and look into each other's eyes and and grow old together the best is yet to come. Are you kidding? That's not what marriage is about. God has put us together so that we can serve him. Our unity, our happiness together should be overflowing into the lives of others. Our home is not a love nest for me and her, I promise you. Our home is a place from which we can serve God and a home that should be open to strangers and open to help others. Our lives should turn outward focused on serving God and and blessing the lives of others. Your singleness is for others. It's for others. So remember, whether you're married or whether you're single, marriage is not always wonderful. And singleness is not always horrible. These are both ways of life that God can assign and that God will bless. Some of you at this point in your life are single. Some of you are fulfilled and and happy, very, very happy with your lives. And God bless you in that. Pursue that happiness. Thank God for it every day and serve him as a single person promise you, those who are married haven't won any special prize from God. From Paul's perspective, marriage simply makes life harder in some ways. Paul wishes everybody could be single. If you're single today, I want you to understand that your purpose in life is not to find a spouse. God didn't create you just to find a spouse. It should not be the focus, the idol of your life. 
This whole sermon series, Me, Myself, and God, has been intended to communicate that there is one relationship in all of our lives that is priority, one relationship that matters for eternity, and that is your relationship to God. Your purpose in life is not to find a boyfriend, not to find somebody to date every Saturday. That's not what life is for. It's not even to find a spouse and grow old together. That's not what life is for. Life is a very, very temporary, very short, very brief time that we are given to learn to know God and to love him and to serve him. No matter the situation, the condition of your life, there's one relationship that matters, and that is your relationship with God. Truly, whoever you are, what matters, it's you yourself, and your God. Pray with me. God, I thank you today for the church. I thank you, Lord, that we come from all sorts of family backgrounds, but when we come together, truly, this is our new family, a family created by the very blood and sacrifice of Christ. It is not that we come from different families, Lord, but we've been united now in the family of God. We share in common the blood of Jesus coursing through our veins. Lord Jesus, I pray for those today, whoever they are, whatever their situation in life, Lord, I pray for those who are not happy, not content, Lord, I pray for those who struggle with their sexual temptations and their sexual sins. I pray, Lord, today for freedom and deliverance for all of those who are not living a life of purity and righteousness before you. God, I pray for all of those who have made marriage and family an idol in their lives, whether they be married or whether they be single, Lord. Help us today to recognize that the only one to whom our heart belongs is the Savior who bought it with his blood. Lord Jesus, we are yours. We all belong to you. So help us, Lord, each and every one of us to do everything that we can do and to do everything with the purpose of serving you with as few distractions as possible. Focus our minds, focus our hearts on loving you first and loving you most of all. Lord Jesus, give comfort to those today who are struggling, those who are unhappy with their lives. Give more joy and more blessings, Lord, to those who understand where the blessings come from. Lord, I pray today that whatever step we should take in order to draw closer to you, to serve you with fewer distractions, that we will be willing, Lord, to take that step, that next step, and giving our hearts to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Stay together. The altar is open if you wish to come and pray. Whatever a message you have heard from the Holy Spirit today, whatever you're called to do, this is an opportunity to respond. If you have a physical need for healing, the deacons will meet you on the organ side to anoint you and, and pray with you. If you have a public decision, I'm at the front to meet you. Uh, let's take some time and, and respond to the Lord as we sing. Andrew?